Hey everyone, welcome to Business Access by TD Image. My name is Diego D'Souza, and today we're going to talk to Kate Sackman, the owner and founder of Zenovation Group. Kate, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. I'm excited to talk to you. Like I, I said before, like when I went to your websites, I felt so relaxed. It's, it's so green. It's so vibrant, and it's so about nature. And I, I fell in love with it. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. That's exciting. Awesome, awesome. So let me ask you a little something. Uh, you are a driver when it comes to creating a better environment. Tell us a little bit more about your history and how you came to find your passion. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, well, actually, my, my passion for the environment started quite early. I, I grew up in um, the big woods of central Minnesota, and which actually, they're, they're, I was surrounded by woods the whole time I was growing up. And I can vividly recall, even as a small child of four or five years old, tiptoeing through the woods because I just really didn't want to disturb the plant, the animals or the birds. I wanted to be able to see them. I wanted to be able to sit quietly and be present with them. So then as I was growing up, I, I was this tall, awkward kid, and I would go out into the woods to find peace after a day of being teased at school. It always was a place of restoration and wonder for me. And then, then I was fortunate to go to, to Dartmouth College, which if you've ever been there, you know it's just thousands of acres. The, the campus is surrounded by thousands of acres of, of uh, green, mountainous New Hampshire beauty. And yes, I was there to study, but the main reason I, I wanted to go is because it was such an incredible outdoor place which seems, um, I suppose, not like not the right criteria, but those were those were key to my criteria in those days. That's, and then later is... That sounds, so incredible. that sounds so incredible. I'm like, that's actually a criteria for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, I saw a lot of city schools and I just couldn't, I couldn't feel at home there. Right. So um, when I saw the campus, I said, you know, whatever it takes, I'm, I want to be able to go here. So then later, as, a, as an adult and young mom, I got involved with other young parents preserving wild spaces in the Chicago area, specifically Lake Forest, Illinois. It's 15% of the landmass in that city, that residential city, is, has been preserved indefinitely through the, through the different forest preserves and the work of, of um, private land trust I was involved in. And that was really, really, really engaging. We got involved at you know, it wasn't just sitting in the woods. It was about dealing with um, the county and the city government and developers and saying, look, we know the city is going to be developed further. So let's plan for what needs to be preserved during that process. We're not going to throw ourselves in front of bulldozers. We want to think ahead with you in terms of how much um, let not only open space do we want, but how much is that going to really actually increase the value of the properties that get developed here? It improves the quality of life. It, it, it increases housing values. And for the governments, it actually increases their tax revenues because the, print, the land is, is worth more. Wow. So um, we, did, we did a lot of that. We, we, we looked at preserving the environment from, from that standpoint and preserved thousands of acres that way. So then 
fast forwarding, I, I, I have a professional background as an entrepreneur in healthcare and environmental issues. Um, I spent decades working on environmental and social challenges, both as a founder of a medical software company and an environmental media alliance, not at the same time, two different businesses. And then um, and later as U.S. director of the largest plant conservation network in the world, Botanic Gardens Conservation International, which was truly an epic experience working with scientists in botanic gardens from all across the globe to, to meet the global plant conservation goals. Um, so I've got this this sort of right brain, left brain stuff going on. I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, business person. I've run and sold companies, um, but also I, what, what feeds me is is nature and gardening and being out in the natural world. Wow. So most recently, I was the director of Startup FIU, an accelerator program for startup companies at Florida International University in Miami. And there I worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs in various industries to design and launch their new companies, many of which were social ventures. And then about a year ago, I left FIU to start the Zenovation Group because I really wanted to be specifically focused on focusing on social ventures. It was brought as a broader responsibility at Startup FIU. So I really wanted to get back to um, doing work for the environment and this time through other companies that recognize that they have a responsibility to the environment and, and that their customers and investors are demanding it. Wow. That's so, it's, it's something so needed. And, and I'm saying through experience, there's a, there's a different level of, calmness and relaxation and ability to flourish as a person when your surrounding and your environment environment encompasses things like just trees and grass yeah. and, and just that type of uh, just the greenery that it creates something so incredible and I don't know how to explain this to people mm -hmm. that just lives in the center of a place where they don't see trees it's just it just creates a higher quality of life oh absolutely in fact there have been studies that have showed that in urban areas that have more trees versus those that have less trees there is a lower crime rate wow yeah I, I have no doubt I have no Isn't that wild? That's so so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. But I, I mean, I can, because of my experience, like I love nature. I'm like you. I love nature. I love getting my hand in dirt. I, I love feeling, getting outside and, and, and being able to breathe air and looking around and just see space and, and be see beyond what you're capable yeah. of seeing, you know, through greenery, through trees. And uh, it's just so amazing. I used to, oh, I used to, as a kid, I used to love playing in the forest, by the way. So... I am yeah. right there with you. So let me ask you this. So recently you started uh, uh, Zenovation Group, the Zenovation Group. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit uh, what drove you to say that this was a need and you wanted to start that. Well, as I, as I briefly mentioned um, a minute ago, it's, it's, it's really clear now more than ever, even, even especially after COVID, but this, this is true right before COVID started, right. that, the, that the demand among consumers 
being driven in, in, at least in part and significantly by by younger consumers is really high for companies that are that are taking a responsibility to help the environment and the social environment and so it's driven it's driven by consumers it's been driven it's been driven actually by um, industrial customers as well mm-hmm. a- and for for all kinds of reasons not not the least of which are cost and reducing risk and finally it's been hugely driven by impact investing worldwide um, the impact investing market today by that by which i mean large pension funds, individuals, investors of all kinds that specifically seek to invest in companies that can in sustainability. That market globally is over 715 billion with a B of assets under management. Wow. That that was that was an, according to an annual survey in 2020, and that's 14 times higher than just 10 years ago it's really gaining momentum. And in fact, um, many of the really large pension funds and family offices and even ind- individuals, so that specifically millennial investors are making it a significant, a, a requirement of a significant part of their portfolio that, that they are investing in demonstrably sustainable companies. So those companies that are maybe not aware of this are lacking lacking access to a huge part of the investor market. They they can expand. On the, on the other hand, they can expand their availability, um, the availability of capital to those companies, if they can demonstrate their sustainability. If they don't have sustainability in their operations, then they need to think about what do they need to change, and uh, to re, to to reduce their risk and, and improve their environmental impact. And I can give you some examples at some point. Sure, sure. Uh, Actually, go ahead since we're in the topic. Okay. So, for instance, um, uh, to give an example right right in in South Florida, there are nuclear plants that are um, aging and they are near flood zones. That's that's a huge risk to, to the utilities that manage those. So that's being built into the to the capital cost for those utilities until they can mitigate those risks by either shutting down those nuclear plants and creating smaller, more inland plants, or by shifting to greener energy, um, other sources of green energy. Many people um, would argue that, that nuclear is very green. Um, there, there are lots of things that they can do to mitigate that risk. They could also try to um, prevent the flooding in the area where, where the plants are, which is, which is, in the long term, probably not very practical. But that's that's an, that's an example of environmental risk that needs to be, that needs to be um, considered, if they want to reduce their capital costs. Um, Another example would be like the chemicals in food. Um, the people that can, you know, GMO is a big thing. It's a big term that people use. It, people have this tendency to think that genetically modified foods are somehow bad. That's not necessarily true. 
genetically modified food sometimes has to do with chemicals and sometimes has to do with the genetics that make it taste better, like bananas. The bananas that we find in supermarkets are actually genetically modified to taste that good. They, the, the ones that you would find in the wild wouldn't necessarily be as 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 tasty. I, I know this because I am from Brazil and oh. and we where we get our banana we get so many different types of bananas and a lot uh-huh. of people like I surprise people with like I've never seen a banana like that. Like there's so uh-huh. many variations of bananas wow. that you don't that you like you don't understand. And I, I, I tell that to people. So the, I, I really, so, like, honestly understand that. Yeah, commercially available bananas in the United States are basically all the same. It's not the variety that you're talking about that's found in the wild. In fact, I could go down that rabbit hole for, for a while with, with the importance of protecting wild species of coffee and bananas and so forth, but we won't go there just yet. Um, but the point I was making is that Sometimes genetically modified foods or, or, or crops are genetically modified to resist weed killer well, or, um, or to have weed killer in, in them. And, and that's when people get nervous. And, right. and, that's, and, that's, and that's when, that's when um, foods are listed on the um, – I can't remember the name of the there's – a, there's a list you can download that tells you whether, whether what kinds of produce are safe to eat because they don't have systemic chemicals in them. So suppliers of, of products are more and more going to be required to label what's actually in their products. There's tr- this truth and labeling movement. And that's, that type of activity should have the impact of increasing the market share and consumer loyalty for, for companies that do this because people know they can trust what's in the product. Wow. It's, it's, it's such a, um, I think with what you're saying, it, it's always about being educated in what you, what you purchase and what you get and what you work with. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what I always tell everyone because there's, there's more information than, than just a name. Uh, you know, people get concerned with a lot of labels and people get really scared off by certain titles and, but you really have to, especially today, since things are dealt with in so many different fashions, so so many different mm-hmm. forms, that you have to be an educated shopper when it comes mm-hmm. to those things. It's true. At least now there's an organic standard. You know, not not too many years ago, people could say they were organic and get away with it, even if they weren't. But now there's an FDA standard for organic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's. That's a change, and and these changes keep coming. People aren't going to inform themselves if it's hard. You know, it, it needs to be made easy, and so it's it's really good that the changes are are um, happening. But I I would argue that they are driven as much by customer demand as they are by regulation and and um, sort of big big government. Let me let me ask you a question. I know we're like totally <laughs> deviating from the questions, but I love this topic. Okay, sure. Um, one of the things that I always focus on is a balance. So there 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 needs to be a balance to me for for everything, and you have to find that middle ground to work with. And of course, a lot of people uh, get concerned of how things are made, but then the ratio of how how much 
food needs to be created for the amount of uh, human bodies that we have. Mm, yes. It, it's something that basically t- like easily tell us that Earth can't not sustain the body mass that we have uh, on Earth yeah. with humanity. So there, we have to create different options. As you said, a lot of when it comes to GMOs, it's, it's not just, you know, chemical-infused plants. It's not just no. about that. There's there's uh, just genetic sequence that they, they, they just add a little bit of salary to a carrot or something like that uh, to create uh, a new crop. Uh, and, and it's not – it doesn't involve having uh, chemicals in it. And so there's they're like – They're just more productive. The, uh, crops can be way more productive through genetic modification that doesn't, it doesn't hurt the – the nutrition, nutritional value. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so my question to you is, what would be a easy way to explain to people about that balance so they can so they can understand um, that one, we need to have a different type of food source because of the mass amount of body mm-hmm. that we have. So um, this isn't probably that widely known in the United States, but insects are a significant source of protein and are are consumed by lots and lots of cultures. Right. Freely and happily. <laughs> and and and, and it, it, I, there's some scientists have predicted that that will become a bigger and bigger source of protein going forward. Oh, it's. I don't know. Uh, um, go ahead. No, it, it, that's it, it's. You actually like led into the perfect answer, and in, in, oh. which which I and I probably wasn't clear on my question. But the the thing about it is exactly what you said is that in the in the United States and some countries, we are focused more on the image than we are on the nutrition. And for me, being coming from Brazil. I understand there's so many different ex- insects that actually have a higher nutrition than certain fruits and higher nutrition than certain vegetables that and they they aren't like you say insect people are like ew it tastes disgusting but they're not they actually taste uh, incredible that well, go ahead we do we do actually eat um, creatures that are related to insects but we don't cons- we don't think of them that way crustaceans right. crustaceans are all related to insects they have exoskeletons so like shrimp for instance right um and so we 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 would just it, it, in order for this to become accepted in the united states we would have to change our mindset yeah where i used to work there was a fellow who was from i want to say indonesia and he would he would bring his lunch to work and it was like cajun beetles and he would crunch them happily and we'd all go, I'm going to eat in the other room. You know, so we just aren't used to this, but, but it was, it was, it was a, a treat for him. Wow. Um, but I, I also think that more and more we need to be thinking about producing our foods locally. That means producing, doing, growing produce in our own, in our own households right. to the extent we can. It means, it means, Communities having a lot more vertical farms, meaning indoor farms that use hydroponics to grow a ton of the produce because it's a shorter distance to get it to market. 
it's fresher and the the the, the footprint uh the 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 whole footprint this is a small it's small much smaller acreage than it would be to to grow it outdoors and there's a whole lot less irrigation and and everything in all, all the resources that are needed are significantly less so 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 production needs to come closer to where we're distributing it right we need to use less land for for what we produce uh, and we need to get used to foods that we aren't necessarily used to. Um, I read, I, I don't remember the exact statistics, so um, forgive me, but it, I, I, I recently read that by 2050, the number of people that we expect to have on the planet, I, don't, I can't remember how many billion it is, it, it will require three times the number of planets that we have to sustain the amount of food that everybody would need if we continue eating at the at the level that we're used to consuming at the level that we're used to that's crazy that's it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 crazy it's sad and it's actually realistic um because of how how much of food we consume and i think also you know going back to uh what you were first talking about when it comes to um allowing um better landscapes when it comes to companies coming in and building within areas uh, one of the things that my wife and I, um, my wife actually all brings up um, and I talk about is the fact that in a lot of different cultures, um, when you go to a home, and this is like such a simple solution to me, I don't understand why um, we can't, a lot of areas don't allow this to happen. When you go to yeah. a home and you go to a backyard or something, they are growing their own stuff. They're growing their own little fruits and they have their gardens, they, they have that happening. Um, a lot of areas in the United States, you're actually not allowed to do that. And we have this, uh, this uh, large area of grass because our grass has to look uh, incredible because we're presenting our, our land in the front and in the back and we can't grow that stuff because it diminishes the value of the property, which is so odd to me. Because I would love to be able to grow my own. Uh, if I'm in, like, let's say, if I'm in an area where where people are doing that, they're really concerned about the grass, I will, and the homeowner association don't allow me to. But I would love to be able to have my own huge garden in the back and 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 cut costs down and grow my own fruits and vegetables. Yeah, I, I I have I haven't encountered what you're talking about, but I can see where that would be the case because a lot of a lot of us are just very attached to our lawns. Yes, and and, and lawns are, are are probably the worst thing that we can be using our, our our property for if we have land, because it requires fertilizer and it requires irrigation, it requires cutting, and all those that that the the cutting can produce carbon because if it's a gas powered motor the mower that's that's running over it and the fertilizer often especially homeowners f fertilize too much and so all the excess fertilizer goes into the water which goes into the public sewer system which goes into which doesn't get cleaned out during um during the processing at the sewage right. plants and so the fertilizer ends up in the waterways and and, and you end up with algae bloom that kill the fish and create red tide and so you know lawns lawns are part of the issue and if we could if we could plant even prairie 
um, prairies are, are beautiful. That's that's we we in my home in, in the Chicago area. We planted a prairie in the backyard. We wouldn't have been able to plant it in the front yard for the, for the exact reason that you're saying, because it looks unkempt. Yeah. But if people understand what it is, it's it's quite beautiful. Yeah, it, it's so. it, it's just something that I've 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 ran into so many times in a lot of areas, uh, a lot of states where um, you go into a neighborhood and there's so much. Um, as as I consider wasted space to one create your own food source um, that then I've seen a homeowner association tell people that they cannot do that within their landscape because it diminishes the value of the property which diminishes the value of which is it's like I said it's a visual thing and I think it goes back to me saying where we're a lot a lot of us in the United States are very connected to visuals not the nutrition and I think that um, needs to be changed um, because if all those people can create their own food source think of all the neighborhoods and all the abundance of food source that will be created to allow us to uh, have a better uh, supply yeah you know I, in, in, in my in my personal opinion, I don't really have anything to back this up, but I, I think that I think that where we're going over the next decade or so, maybe maybe longer, is towards people having really kind of independent opportunities to be completely independent off the grid, you know, like completely solar hmm. um, and growing their own food and being able to sustain themselves without relying on a lot of infrastructure because with with um, all of the extreme weather and things that are happening because of global warming or even even if you just consider the COVID epidemic people don't want to leave the house they'd rather go out in the backyard and pull tomatoes off their plant and you know and have tomato soup than than go to the go to the store during the worst of COVID right um the other the other way to do it is of course to to order using Instacart. But I, I think people are going to take control of their individual lives, and I believe that commun- many communities will accommodate that, including allowing you to grow your own vegetables or even have chickens or bees in your backyard under certain circumstances. You know, if they're in a pen or if they're surrounded by a fence or whatever it may be, so that people have the um, the resources to, to feed themselves if they need to. If you have a chicken in the backyard that lays eggs, you've got eggs every day. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I want to go back. I love this topic and we could stay on it. Like I can stay on this all, all day because I really love the, the topic of nutrition and, and, and um, sustainability and being able to create these type of environments. But I really want to talk. I want people to know about uh, um, Zenovation Group. Um, tell us a little bit um, about its focus, which you call it the, the ES, ESG method. Yeah, ESG. ESG is um, not exactly a method. It's it, those are terms that describe the key ingredients for a s- sustainable company to be following or, or to be to be measuring in order to demonstrate that they are um, 
it's really an investor standard. So it's, mm-hmm. investors investors use ESG, which is environment, environmental, social, and governance standards, to determine whether the company is being environmentally sustainable, socially responsible to their employees and their communities, and is is framing the governance in a way that supports those two things. So many people use ESG synonymously with the idea of impact investing. The, th- the thing that I was describing earlier where people, pension funds and individuals prefer to invest in companies that can demonstrate that they are acting sustainably in their operations and their, um, in, you know, in, in everything and their impact on the environment. Impact. Correct. So, um, the, the, I founded the Innovation Group because I know that there are companies that would like to have greater access to, to impact capital. They say, well, we're an impact company. But to, even, to, even to express that, um, a company needs to be thoroughly honest with themselves about whether the 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 operations that they've set up, the supply chain that they've set up, the um, hiring practices, the even even the compensation practices are all consistent with what's going to make the company successful in the long term. This is from an investor standpoint. So, investors um, in, investors view a company. Um, as having longer term viability if it's, if it's uh, say for instance, if I go back to the utility, the nuclear utilities example, if, though, if that company has mitigates their, their, their flood risk of their huge electricity generating plants, mm-hmm. then, then investors are gonna say, oh, that's, that's a company I should invest in. And so they're gonna be attracted to invest in that company. And so they'll they'll be willing to buy, say, say bonds of that company at a lower interest rate than if it's a company that they perceive as being highly risky. If they perceive it as being highly risky, then the bonds need to have a higher interest rate because there's a chance the company could, you know, not be financially successful in the future. Correct. So um so cost of capital is impacted. And I, I, I know that if I work with companies, I can help prepare them for the kinds of things that they need to think about throughout their supply chain and throughout their operations to, to, to strengthen them for the long run by lowering their risk and potentially lowering their costs People, when when people go through this transition, they have to make an investment now, but they are anticipating the potential things that are that are going to come down the road in five or ten years, like extreme weather, or um, their their supply chain getting locked up because of a pandemic or other things that we can't foresee. And so if they if they take make the investment today to mitigate the risk that could be coming down the pike in the future, then the the return on investment in in the long run is going to be high. 
So, so there are two, there, there are two main things that, that, that happen if the company is making the appropriate, taking the appropriate measures to mitigate their risk and to improve their stability. One is that they'll attract more in, uh, more investors because not only can they tra- attract traditional investors, but they can attract impact investors. And two is that they will attract more and loyal and, and, and more loyal customers, whether it's business to business or business to consumer. What are some what are some steps that leaders can take right now? to help create a better environment in their businesses? That is an excellent question. So this, the CEO is really the driver of whether, of, of whether a company practices uh, excellent sustainability. And, and if the CEO and the, and the managing, management group decide that that is a priority and they understand the potential benefits from that, then they need to agree on their sustainability goals, both operationally and financially. Wow. Then, then, they, then they need to assess their current practices and whether there's a gap between what they need to do and what they're currently doing and understand what investments need, need to be made in order to do that. The investments don't need to be made necessarily immediately. They can be made over time. Like if, the, if a company is planning on moving its, its, its manufacturing plant uh, in 20. 23 maybe they maybe they don't make take whatever measures are necessary until 2023 or maybe they accelerate that move because they they see that that there will be sustainability benefits so it it, it scares some companies to say oh my god i have to make this investment and i'm too busy you know trying to get the company going and i don't have enough cash blah blah, blah. so they have first you have to understand what the what the need is, and then you decide how quickly you're going to implement it. Unless you have the information, you can't make a decision. But some people don't even take the step of getting the information because they're scared that they'll be required to make investments that they don't want to make. So once you once um, once you know what those changes are, um, you or what those what what you want to implement. Um, then you go ahead and you, you either implement it in-house or, you know, get some outside help to, to get it done. Throughout this process, too, it's important for the company to assess how much do our customers care about this and what parts of, in, you know, environmental or, or social sustainability do they most care about. And the same with investors. Now, fortunately, it's there's a there's a group called the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board that's based in San Francisco and they've been around for more than a decade assessing industries and sectors throughout the world with the help of advisors from those sectors to determine what sustainability measures are actually impactful for those sectors what's impactful for a clothing company is completely different than what's impactful for a financial institution. And so the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, also called the SASB, has published these standards. And and actually, it's not an incredibly long list for any sector. It may be um, 
you know, just 10 or 12 things that, that, that have been assessed to be really important to the long-term value of the company and um, its ability to be, which, which, uh, to be profitable. So, for instance, um, for um, medical equipment and supplies, uh, this, 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 the SASB has um, about six standards, and they, they suggest that product, product design and life cycle management is an important topic for medical equipment. And in particular, I'm quoting here, the discussion of the process to assess and manage environmental and human health considerations associated with the chemicals in the products and meet demand for sustainable products, which simply means that that people have to, um, that, that medical equipment manufacturers would be wise to um, consider the chemicals in their products and um, also the recyclability of those products. A lot of medical products just turn into be medical waste, but a lot of them can be recycled if they're, you know, if they're, if it's done in a safe way. Wow. And, and so that, that's just, that's just one of many examples. Like um, with food retailers, food safety is an issue that is an SASB standard. They, um, the number of recalls, you know, let's say somebody makes bacon and they deliver they package and deliver bacon for stores. So the number of recalls, the number of units recalled, the percentage of re units recalled are, are significant. And, and an investor will compare one bacon company to another bacon company in terms of who, who, has, who has more recalls as a, as a percentage of sales. Um, so those, those impact the, um, not only the cost of capital for the company, and the investors' expectation of the long-term value of the company, but consumer trust. You know, if, the, if 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 you buy bacon from a certain company that keeps recalling the bacon, or even once, consumers may remember that and say, "I'm not buying bacon from that guy anymore." Right. <laughs> so it's not just you know, it's not just um, it's not just presentation. This is this is real. This stuff is is real, and that's why the SASB has gone to such great lengths to make sure that what the standards that they set for each sector are meaningful. Because there are a whole bunch of things that people could say that they do. Any company can say that they do for corporate social responsibility that isn't truly meaningful to the long-term viability of the company or even to the environment. So, you know, like gestures that a company might make that's been sufficient in decades past it makes people feel warm and fuzzy about whatever company says we've done this corporate social responsibility thing you know on the second sunday in june and that's it so corporate sustainability is becoming much much more systematic and expected to be embedded in people's operations and that's what we can help them do Wow, it's it's so. I think we've been talking about it's it's, it's there's such a balance there that yeah. I, I think that we need to focus on, and there's so many things that if we do, so so many steps that if we take these steps, not only does it help the environment, but it also helps uh, a business to have a better return on investment, yeah. and, and and it just equals out and it creates this balance where. Uh, 
one, like I said in the beginning that, you know, being in that type of environment where you just have this breathable air and this ability to just see greenery and feel less stress, if companies take certain steps and allow to their company to flourish within these environments, how not only that it does it help in ROI, but the plus side of that is that your environment, the people that are in your environments can produce a lot better quality in those environments, and which then brings better ROI because they, they work with less anxiety and less stress because of the environment that they're in. Oh, totally. And and employees feel happier to be part of the company. Oh, yeah, that's um, so with, true. With, with one of my previous uh, companies that I that I started, it was a, an environmental media company. We were hired by Pepsi to, to write curriculum for them for their um, um, they have a recycling program around the country in, in low and middle income schools called um, Recycle Rally. And um, in working with Pepsi for three years, I, I realized that they do a lot for uh, um, in terms of proactive work to, to clean up water around the world. And, and, that it, and it makes sense because water is obviously the key ingredient in most of their products. And so they, it's, they have huge commitment to water sustainability. Wow. I got to and, and, and there are lots of companies that are doing that are doing the right thing, both because it's good for the company and because it's good for the environment. That is so true. I got to tell you, um, I love this story because I met this gentleman and I'm so, so inspired by him. Um, where the the uh, a couple of governments went around to different countries and went to villages and uh, build wells for them. Yeah, which was which which was incredible. But they they missed out on one thing. They never thought taught how, the people how to take care of the wells. So after years, <laughs> they didn't know how to how it properly functioned. So this gentleman started a nonprofit, which he went around and taught the villagers how to fix the wells. And that's that's what he does. And it's it was just such an wow. incredible story, which, like you said, it, it creates. A, an optimal environment for the people that are there and these and some of these villages who tell me the story that they, they had to walk for hours just to go get water and come yeah. back and bring it to the well because it wasn't functioning properly and now um he and that's what made him decide to hey if i bring them the proper tools to take care of these uh wells they they have sustainability and they uh can mm-hmm. be sustained for life and that's so incredible and then this goes back to what you're saying is uh, if companies learn these techniques not only to build create but recycle and, and create this into the workflow it, it can be something so incredible oh absolutely yeah i work with a startup i uh i advise a startup called living water systems and they have made a um, a very simple rain catchment system that acts like a gutter that that you can suspend on the top of uh, like a refugee like a UN refugee tent and it captures the water in this gutter and filters it and stores it so in refugee camps and all kinds of places around the world but they're focusing on refugee camps it's very hard um, 
to access water, typically a truck comes in and delivers a bunch of water bottles to people. But what they what they are doing is is providing a way for for rainwater to be purified and stored so that there's always uh, there's always enough. And and they've calculated how much how much water is needed for each for each individual over a period of time and and so they they can they can sustain whole families and whole villages and whole communities with these these rain rainwater systems it's a for-profit company too wow there are um i used to teach a class at florida international university um called global social entrepreneurship and the idea behind it was that the, the problem the, the global problems of the world can be solved by for-profit companies it's not a bad thing in fact it's a good thing to create a for-profit um, it's a good thing to create a non-profit but it's not but it's it's also a good thing to create a for-profit because if a, a for-profit is uh, generating revenue from the things that they're delivering that are useful to solve this global problem, whatever it may be, the business can grow and sustain itself and serve even more people. Right. So that was the purpose of this class. All my students had to create companies to solve one of the one or more of the UN sustainable development goals. And um, it was a whole year class. It was it was really terrifically fun to teach it and and these kids just grew immensely it was it was marvelous you have to understand it i love that i love that because because a lot of people a lot of people have the miscon uh, how do i say this a lot of people think that working for good things needs to be free Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work that way a good person still needs to be fed when they're doing good. And a good person still needs to have uh, a, a shelter to do good deeds. And so it's a it's a circle of investment that I wish that a lot more businesses would would would, like you said, you know, be focused in where, you know, they, they focus more on the environment, see that investing more in the environment can create a better environment for them, where it can create more profitability. And also with uh, with people is that when they go out and do good deeds because they're they are being paid for it it's not a bad thing but it allows to re-energize that person to be able to do it again tomorrow yeah yeah and you know what em employees care about this stuff now employees don't want to work for places that are not supporting their values right or or worse you know or doing the opposite right that is so true. people People want to feel good about why they go to work every day. Exactly, exactly. But 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 also, um, you know, to create, it's so hard to get a business off the ground, whether it's for profit or non profit. And the thing about a for profit is that there there are people who are willing to invest to create growth capital for early early stage companies, and and in the in a, in a non profit. The 
and this is very black and white. There are some hybrid organizations, so this right. isn't always true. But but in a in a strictly nonprofit situation, that you're raising donations, so the the act of providing the solution, like in the water catchment system for for refugee tents, um, if if that if that can produce revenue, then the company. Then, 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 then it's aligned with the, the company's actions are aligned with its its fundraising process. And 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 my feeling about nonprofits having been very involved in many of them is that the that the fundraising process is often disconnected from the philanthropic activity. Right. And 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 just it's just harder. So. It, it, with with the with the for profit you you can you can find investors because they're they um, they expect a return, and so they invest for different reasons, hope which are not wholly different necessarily. In an in an impact investing situation, they're investing for the same reason that they would invest in you if you were a nonprofit. It's because your values are aligned and they care about the difference that you're making in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Let me ask you one last question. Yeah. And, and I just want people to understand um, the whole concept of, of, of what we've talked about today is this is very important. This is very vital for, for people to make these changes today. And can you explain to people why is it so important that we start going towards this route and keep moving forward? Well... Gosh, I mean, when you look at the global goals, um, we just we're just dangerously close to not not meeting them in terms of in terms of reducing carbon, which is just one of the, uh, but one of by far one of the most important um, issues that we have to we have to address. At the rate that we're currently consuming carbon, we we won't be able to keep the the increase in temperature below um, 1.5 degrees increase in Celsius. And that's just a really critical threshold. Right. So the, the good news is that, you know, during COVID, nobody was driving, nobody was flying. So so carbon emissions reduced dra- dramatically, but people are eager to, to start to restart a lot of that travel. Fortunately, um, there are a lot more battery operated cars and and so on coming in and people a lot of people are going to be working from home so maybe we can retain some of that momentum uh, to reduce carbon there are a lot of things that need to happen for us to reduce carbon but that's that's a big one the other thing is there are tons and tons of extinctions and while you know living in a suburban neighborhood or or really you know nice comfy apartment in an urban area it may not be, seem really very important that that insects and plants and animals are becoming extinct but they're all part of the, the greater ecosystem. And um, so pollinators matter. Without, without pollinators, we don't have crops and pollinators are insects. So we need to care about some of these insects. Um, so so we, need to, we need to stop and slow down extinctions of plants and animals and um, reduce carbon, and it, it requires all of us to work together. We can't just rely on the government to figure it out. We can't just rely on big companies to figure it out. 
everyone can play a role. I mean, I, I could go on. It's it's about our, our water supply and the quality of water. I mean, and what we what we put into the water, but you know. I, I could go on for too long. <laughs> that's that's you know, and but that says so much for you to say that because it it, it, sh it shows how much of an issue this is, and how much we really need to pay attention to it to create a a not only better in environment, but honestly a sustainable environment for us to be able to have this habitat we call Earth. Yeah. So the the thing is, I don't want it to seem. It, the problem is, it, it does seem overwhelming. It seems right. like too much, and so people feel like, oh, I can't, I can't help. But all, all, all that we should expect of each other is that each of us is doing what we can. Right. If it's if it's not time to buy a new car, don't worry about not having an electric vehicle. Just right. drive your car less. You know, ride your bike more. <laughs> you know, if if um if it's if it's affordable to buy organic food, because sometimes it's a little bit more expensive than buy organic food, but if it's not, don't worry about it. Just right. do what you can. And and because nobody is perfect and, and nobody is expected to be perfect. Technology changes, makes it easier for all of us to do better. When yeah. battery when there when there's better battery power, we more of us can use solar and battery powered cars. So each person just has to do their part, whatever that is. Exactly. And and it doesn't have to be huge, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't even have to be expensive. I love always telling our, our clients that I, I want to know your goals. I don't care how crazy it is. Take every limitation out of it and tell us your goal. And yeah. then if it seems overwhelming or it seems unreachable, what we do, let's break it down into four parts. What can we do now? Yeah. What's the next step that we can do? Yeah. What can we add to that? And then we've reached our goal. And and it's 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 taking on what you can take on, and then you you always find room to grow from that. Absolutely, and 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 nobody should feel discouraged that they can only do one little thing because when ten thousand people or a million people do one little thing, it's a lot. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Kate, let me let me ask you. I, I can stay on and talk to you all day because I, I love this topic. I love where we're going. All this, this but is I, fun. which is it's, it's it's incredible. I think I love I love talking about the environment because it's something that I think is so beautiful and something that it's invested in us, and, and I think it's so vital for us to invest as much as we can back into it. Um, but I want to make sure that people know how they can find find you and find out more about Zenovation Group and, and be able to reach out to you and uh, get access to all your information. Thank you so much. Well, but just right before I do that, I, I do want to say I totally agree with you. I think that, that, that the environment and preserving nature and enjoying nature and, and respecting what it does for all of us is a unifying idea. It's something that that should be something that brings us together right and and because because we all believe in the in the direction in which we're going even even if it requires work to get there exactly so i i hope that people will um will start to understand and, and view it as as a unifying thing it's it, it's not a partisan thing it's not a right or left or a, an american or european thing it's everybody's thing 
Um, so anyway, thank you so much for having me on. Our, our website is zenovationgroup.com, um, which is Z-E-N-O-V-A-T-I-O-N group.com. I can be found at LinkedIn at Kate Sackman, and, um, or I can be emailed directly at kate at zenovationgroup.com. Kate, I want to thank you so much for your time, and I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. I think it's incredible how you're helping uh, not only the environment, but you're also helping businesses be able to see great ways and, and simple ways of how they can change and, and create a better environment within their means, where they are, for yeah. us all to take that step forward and, and as a team be able to create that change that we need well said thank you <laughs> thank you so much for your time you have a great one <laughs>